You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And today, we're here with guest Ryan McMahon, who is founder and CEO of Brick Language Learning. And we're going to learn a little bit about the background of that business. And Ryan's got a a kind of a serial entrepreneur. He's been involved in several different businesses, some of them bigger, some of them smaller. Uh, We're going to learn a little bit about that and how Brick came about. Ryan, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, like I I said earlier, congratulations. Uh, I've listened to several of of the different podcasts and very interesting stuff. Very interesting guests that you've had. I listened to Evans this morning and and yeah, Elaine's sure. as well, and they were just just fantastic. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here. Well, I appreciate it. It's really you know it's it's about having the guests and about giving the guests a chance to kind of talk about their stories and what they've learned and, and share some of their experiences and some of their uh, sort of sage wisdom on, <laughs> on starting businesses <laughs> and playing in the service sector. And so why don't, actually, why don't we just sort of start there? Give us a sense of kind of your professional background and sort of the, how, how you got into a position of kind of discovering the opportunity or seeing the opportunity for Brick, and then we can talk about what Brick's about. Yeah, yeah, sure. Hopefully I actually have something that is <laughs> that can be considered sage that comes out of my mouth. But. <laughs> so I got my start in 2004 for a manufacturing company called Tricam Industries. They do gorilla ladders and gorilla carts. A shameless self-plug are sold at Home Depot. The ladders, the carts are sold at Home Depot, Lowe's, all those kind of places. But it was manufacturing. And so I had, I moved to China in 2004 with them. I, and I'll, you know what, I'll segue really quickly into what we currently do. And that's brick language learning. Yeah. And we do online Mandarin, Chinese training, Brazilian, Portuguese, and Spanish with teachers in China, Mexico, and Brazil. Got it. And what we have tried to do mm-hmm. is blend technology and the traditional classroom so that you get that personalized touch of having yeah. a teacher that you can actually ask questions of. And kind of like it, the teacher has become a mentor. It's not just a, a Rosetta Stone type of product. Yeah. It's, you're actually talking to a teacher but we're using technology to make it more interesting, more interactive, mm-hmm. and connect people and bridge the gaps between China, Mexico, Brazil, the United States. And yeah. the reason that I got into it was that I had gone to China in 2004 with Tricam Industries, mm-hmm. and I knew no Mandarin when I went there, <laughs> which was so difficult. And it's not only the language, it's also the cultural divide. Yeah. And I tried everything. I tried all the big names that people have heard of. I tried local Chinese schools and Mm -hmm. nothing worked. And part of the reason that they didn't work was the fact that they're all set in these systems Mm -hmm. and you have to learn each chapter before you're able to move on to the next. And I failed miserably for three years and I failed miserably not only in in learning Mandarin, Mm -hmm. but I also failed career-wise, because I couldn't figure out China. And I met this brilliant young woman named Casey Wong. Mm -hmm. And I had been introduced to her by a friend of mine. 
I walked into her classroom. She's a, a young lady from a small town in northern China of 8 million people. <laughs> in China, moved, you can say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She moved to the to the big city to try out what she could do. And uh-huh. I went in and she sat me down. And the first thing she asked was, what do you want to learn about? Yeah. And what do you need to learn about? And I said, I want to learn about hiking and skiing. I need to learn about business and manufacturing. And she said, done. That is what you're going to be learning about. So this was so you weren't you weren't in there trying to figure out how to order food or how to tell the weather or trying to you know tell a stranger time. <laughs> yeah, well that's that's just it, right? So yeah. one of the programs that I I went into, I got to a chapter called Red Autumn Leaves, and it was all about watching the leaves turn red in the autumn, which I can appreciate. I'm yeah. an outdoors yeah. guy, okay. you know, beautiful. But in business, when am I ever going to be talking about watching the leaves turn red in the autumn? Yeah. And I asked the teacher, can I please just skip this? I want to learn about talking to my managers and my colleagues and my business partners. And she wouldn't let me skip it. And I eventually walked out of class. And that's when I met Casey. And, you know, I mean, I I don't like to sound like I'm bragging about myself, but it was 12 months after that initial meeting. I'm walking into factories and doing multi-million dollar deals on behalf of TriCam. Yeah. And my career just exploded in the best of ways because I learned the language, which allowed me to understand the culture and the people that I was dealing with. And that was kind of what spawned the idea of brick language learning. And I wanted to open up the doors to not only China, but just international business in general uh, to as many people as I possibly could. And I, I can't take credit for the idea. Actually, I, I give that credit to Casey. Mm -hmm. She actually came to me when she found out that I was moving back to the United States. And this is 2012. I moved there in 2004 and asked, would I ever want to do business together? Yeah. And I said, that depends on what what you're talking about. Autumn leaves uh, that she wanted to sell autumn leaves. (laughs) So she laid out this idea for doing online Mandarin training using her teachers, her method online for students in the United States. And I thought it was a brilliant idea. I jumped at the opportunity. I said, I'd like to be more than just Mandarin Chinese. I want to look at, you know, what other languages are really critical for U.S. businesses, U.S. international entrepreneurs and young professionals that want to get into that world. And Spanish is an obvious one, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other one that I saw as kind of a niche market was Brazilian Portuguese. Mm -hmm. And so we started with those three. I went to Mexico and Brazil started making the connections in those countries and figuring out how to start everything up. Mm-hmm. And we got the business. It was actually founded in 2011. We started marketing in 2012. In addition to the language component, we do study abroad programs okay. uh, with universities in China. One uh, that we're very proud of is Shanghai University of Finance and Economics. And then we also do teaching English as a second language. And we're just about to announce a very random au pair program for <laughs> U.S. U.S. people and really anyone worldwide that want to go to China and work as an au pair. So we've got, in addition to language, a bunch of 
different yeah. ways for people to actually get involved in that international business community. And it's something that I'm really proud of because I blindly walked in yeah. to an opportunity in 2004 and it changed my life personally, professionally, and, and every other way that you can imagine. Yeah. I uh, studied Spanish for a long time, then ended up at McGill University in Montreal. <laughs> kind of one of those. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure how to make this translation, but it was. Uh, but I get that feeling, you know. But I'm sure in China, you know, times a thousand is fi- finding that it's it's a connection thing. It's not just a communication thing. It's a feeling of belonging. And when you don't speak the language, you you feel isolated and you don't understand what's going on. It's hard to just. Uh, you know, beyond just being able to kind of go to the grocery store and function or at a restaurant, it's feeling like you're part of something. And once you start to learn the language, it just blossoms. Like you start to feel connected to people, to culture, to activities, to events. So I can imagine how that process was for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's just the thing is you have to know the, the language and the culture and it just, it opens up so many doors as you go. And, you know, you had asked me earlier today, you know, kind of what, was something surprising that happened as you tried to grow the business. And I grew up in doing business in China. I grew up doing business in a foreign culture. And as I started Brick out, I knew more about Chinese culture than I did about U.S. culture. And like I came in hot to the United States. I was like, I thought I was king of the world. You know, I came in and I had, I had weighed, weighed. Well, so actually, let's confidence. go back because I think it's important to understand. So when you, like, on the business, on the, when you were working with the uh, truck am and doing the ladders and the, the um, uh, equipment that you can find in Home Depot and Lowe's and things like that, give us a sense of kind of the business process you went through there. Where, where were you in terms of size of the business? Where did you take it? Because I think that's an important aspect of understanding your kind of journey and the experiences that you've had. Yeah. So when I started out at, Tricam. I started out as a quality control inspector. I got into social and environmental auditing, um, going into factories and making sure that they're paying employees right. And that's actually, I'm glad that you asked this because it's actually one of the reasons why I said to myself, I'm not leaving China until I speak Mandarin. I, as an auditor, I had to walk into factories and determine if they were paying the right wages do a safety audit, make sure that everything at the factory was happening. They had safety equipment on all the machines, all this kind of stuff. And uh, there were never any any real like blacklist type violations. You didn't walk into a Chinese factory and see child labor or yeah. something like that. Yeah. But what you did have was factories not paying their employees according to Chinese labor law. Yeah. And there was almost like an unspoken agreement between the workers and the factory owners that the factory workers weren't demanding higher wages because they were already getting paid 10, 12, 15, 20 times what they would be getting paid back in their home province. Yeah. So Chinese labor law was up here. They're getting paid down here. The owners and the workers had this. And I had to go in and as a U.S. manufacturer, you cannot have anything like that happening. Mm-hmm. And if you just look at the set of books that is right in front of you, that they've just given you, you look at it and everything adds up perfectly right. They're paying all of their employees according to the Chinese labor laws and all that. Mm-hmm. You start cross-checking those books with leave reports, with quality control reports, with all the other different reports that they're doing at the factories. And all of a sudden you notice something doesn't add up. <laughs> yeah. You know, this guy 
checked in for um, he checked in for work on Tuesday, but he was supposed to be on leave. Yeah. And so you do all this cross checking, you find out, and almost every single factory had two sets of books. Yeah. And it was eye opening in a lot of ways because I mean I I had never seen just blatant fraud yeah. like yeah. this. But it was also, what do you do to solve this? You know, and if we would have said, all right, that's a blacklist item, we wouldn't have been able to do business with any of the factories that we were looking at doing business with. And so what we did instead was said, all right, we're going to work with you guys. As long as there's not like a, a true blacklist item, mm-hmm. we're going to work with you guys over the course of the next year. Get your accounting straight. Mm-hmm. And but what we need is truth and honesty. Show us the sets of books. Mm-hmm. Show us both. You've got real and you've got fake. Yeah. And because of the clout that we had, they would show us both sets of books. Yeah. And we were able to work with most of the factories. I'd love to say all of the factories, but there was one just to give you an example where I didn't speak any Mandarin at this point. Uh, I sit down. I've got one of my colleagues from our Shanghai office with me. Yeah. And we're going through the books. We took a tour of the factory. The factory setup is where you've got like a group ownership and then there's 25 factories underneath. Yeah. Okay. And um, we're looking at the books and they've agreed to show us both sets of books, real and fake. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at both sets of books. All of a sudden the big boss at the factory, the factory owner manager jumps up and starts screaming at this guy, chases him right out of the room in front of you. It was like a cartoon almost. It was like, just blows up and runs out and chases this guy out of the out of the room and i looked at my colleague and i was like what just happened (laughs) wtf and yeah seriously and he was like ryan just shut up i'll tell you when you get to the hotel tonight yeah so we get back to the hotel and he looks at me and he's like ryan i don't think we can possibly do business with these guys what happened was that they not only have two sets of books they've got three They've got one to trick an auditor like myself. Yeah. They've got a second one that's real. And what this guy said that made him get chased out of the room was, oops, I'm not showing him the real set of books and the fake set of books. I'm showing him the other fake set of books that he used to cheat the ownership. And I was like, whoa, are you kidding me? They have three sets of books? And I, I was like, we wow. could spend years trying to work with these guys and get their accounting right and all this stuff. Yeah. And it would never happen because there's, it, there's too many sets of books here. Yeah. And so I, I looked at him that day and I was like, you know, this is why I need to learn Mandarin is yeah. I have to, first off, we're wasting your time and my time by having both of us here. If I yeah. spoke Mandarin, I could be just sitting here by myself and doing this stuff. Um, and you could be at a different factory doing the same thing. Yeah. And so that's where I decided I am not leaving here until I speak Mandarin. And I got to say, you know, back then, this is 2004 or five, that was the norm. And I can say this unequivocally, if you have the Chinese factory that's doing business with U.S. retailers, 99% of them are doing things absolutely right because it's too much business to risk on trying to save a dollar here, a dollar yeah. there. It's a different different world now, but man, I mean, that's that's why I wound up learning Mandarin in the first place. Yeah, yeah. That's a great story, because I think it, it just proves the sort of the point of why, you know, just more than just kind of knowing the language, but being 
capable in the language from a business point of view. Um, so you can really sort of see what's going on and, and really get to the subtle aspects of the communications, not just the, the meaning of the words, but good. Yeah. So you embarked on this uh, learning Mandarin mission. You got into this, you, you met this this wonderful person who had a program that could actually help you learn rather than helping you understand autumn leaves. Um, <laughs> so so how did, I guess, how did you first start that brick as a, as a company? What was the first kind of set of moves that you made to actually put this into play, put this into market? So we were fortunate. First set of moves was the conversation that I had with Casey and trying to figure that whole portion of it out was interesting and more difficult than you'd expect. I mean, doing business in China and setting up a business is not easy. We were fortunate Mm -hmm. in the fact that Casey already had a business set up. Got it. So I didn't have to go through that whole legal process of getting a a wholly owned foreign enterprise set up or anything like that. We just did a business through the U.S. company that we had set up Mm -hmm. and her company. Now we've got the Woofy set up and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But that was the first move. So what did you call it? Woofy? Wholly owned? Foreign, foreign enterprise. Wholly owned foreign enterprise. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, so now we've got the Woofy set up, but the other moves were figuring out Mexico and Brazil. Yeah. Uh, and that was hard. You know, their cultures and also figuring out the U.S. and their cultures that I hadn't, I went to Mexico in high school yeah. um, and I had never been to Brazil. So I didn't know anything about doing business in those locations. And one thing that I always tell people about China or doing business anywhere internationally is you got to find people you can trust. And I was fortunate right off the bat to find people in Mexico City that I could trust and were good people. But it's always a risk, you know, because the people that you can't trust are trying to make you trust them. <laughs> it's like salespeople. It's like the sales, they can always sell you on their, on the role, but can they really sell? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I was fortunate in Mexico to find somebody right off the bat that was a really, really good person. Um, and they've been a great business partner. And I had my biggest problems actually in Brazil and here in the U.S. And okay. that's what I was starting to get at earlier. Yeah. Like I grew up doing business in China. I came back to the United States to set this business up. We started trying to go to market and I didn't know anything about digital marketing. I knew nothing about Google, like SEO, yeah. Facebook, Twitter. LinkedIn was always over in China, but all these other things have been banned. Yeah. And there are versions of them like Baidu over in China is like their version of Google. Okay. It's all pay to play. You know, whoever has the most uh, money winds up at the top of the list. Yeah. Or the best government connections. So I came in thinking, you know, I'm an American. I know American culture. I know how to go to market. And I quickly realized I knew nothing about going to market in the United States yeah. in this day and age. And watching the dollars flow out (laughs) and nothing coming in was absolutely shocking. I was like, how do I not know my own culture? And I'm running a company that all we do is preach learning about other cultures and same irony. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And same thing in Brazil, you know, and we're not, we weren't trying to sell down there, but trying to get set up. Yeah. You know, the, sexy name is Rio de Janeiro, you know, Mm -hmm. like that you sit there and you talk about doing business in New York, Shanghai, Rio de Janeiro, Mexico city. Yeah, that sounds great. 
the reality of Rio, and I'm painting a little bit with a broad brush, but mm-hmm. it's like a beach culture. It's a resort yeah. town. They're very laid back. Yeah. And uh, so we had we had a CEO of one of the oil and gas companies that we're working with signs up for lessons. His first three lessons, his teacher decided, well, it's 80 and sunny. I'm going to the beach. He didn't show up for the class. <laughs> So I eventually, I hired someone here in New York, a Brazilian, a brilliant Brazilian young woman, uh, Lydia Albuquerque, who steered me in the right direction. I was like, look, we need Sao Paulo. That's business. That's like a New York type of area. Let's start hiring teachers there and make partnerships down there. And it was the best thing that we ever did for Brazilian Portuguese because it is the same like fast paced we show up for meetings on time type of culture. Yeah. I mean, it's like going from New York to a beach town in the U S it's yeah. just in Brazil. But yeah, yeah I, I learned a couple of lessons about American culture and Brazilian culture right off the bat. That yeah. Were very eye opening. Yeah, yeah. So, um, in terms of the business now, so how, I guess, how are you, how are you structuring it? What's the, how does the actual model work? So you've got teachers in these locations. How are you generating leads? How are you generating customers and how are you finding teachers and what's that matchmaking kind of logistical process look like? Yeah. So all of our lessons are online, teachers up on your screen live. Mm -hmm. All of our content goes on screen next to the teacher. The teacher's in control of all of that content. Mm -hmm. The teachers are in China, Mexico, and Brazil. Okay. Uh, and for lead generation, you know, the thing that, that I just talked about in getting set up and figuring out marketing and all that, we made a hard pivot. And okay. I hate that word because everybody <laughs> talks about how they have to pivot and stuff. Yeah. But all these little catchphrases in the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial world. Yeah. Um, we made a hard pivot and we said, all right, we're not getting any traction online. And this is back in 2012. Now our online marketing is taking off. But instead of trying to market it to the general public and just go out and do Google AdWords and watch money fly out and Mm -hmm. Facebook and Twitter, we turned to kind of a traditional source and that is networking Mm -hmm. and going out and calling up contacts that we previously had. So I was a member of the American Chamber of Commerce for a long time when I was living in China. Um, I started reaching out to companies that I had met through the American Chamber of Commerce. I got a new membership there, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you go straight to those people in Shanghai yeah. and say, hey, we've got this online language course. You guys are operating all over China. Your executives are flying back and forth from Beijing and Shanghai to New York and LA. Give us a shot and do a free trial. Mm-hmm. And that was how we got a foothold. And we so we pivoted from trying to just mass market yeah. to Let's look at corporate clients that have a direct need and understanding of that need. And that really made the difference in the first couple of years for us was making that pivot to corporate clients. And they're great because for us, and this is different, I'm sure, than a lot of the the people that you're talking to, but they're sending expat expat people over to China or down to Brazil or Mexico, Mm -hmm. um, and they go for two years. Yeah. And they want to learn some of the language so that they can talk to their colleagues and their business partners. And then they move on to a different role. Mm-hmm. And then a new person comes in and we've already established a relationship with that company. So, bam, they plug that person right into our system. Yeah. Uh, and another, I mean, great 
networking lead story that uh, I have is it was LinkedIn. This is kind of, I mean, this is how I met you, yeah. you know, it's like you sent me a message on LinkedIn. Yeah. And one, one thing that I've always done in business and personally is I say, let's have the conversation yeah. and just do it. And so we had a conversation and now we're, we're on this podcast together. Yeah. We had a great night at, at the Norwood club. Yeah. So this guy contacts me from Eastern Europe Okay. and on LinkedIn. And he says, you know, I've got a client that he worked for a relocation company. I've got a client that could really use some language courses. Mm-hmm. Is there any chance? And I was like, who is this guy from Eastern <laughs> Europe? <You> know? <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know what, just have that conversation. Yeah. And a lot of times having a conversation turns out to be a waste of time, but yeah. sometimes it winds up to be the best thing that you could possibly done. Yeah. And in this case, it was, um, I had the conversation with him and it seemed like a real lead. And unfortunately, my uncle passed away in the middle of this, um, totally unexpectedly. So I was at his funeral. I passed the conversation on to Casey over yeah. in Shanghai. And next thing you know, we've got uh, a corporate client called uh, Corning, <laughs> who's building a factory in Hefei province or in Hefei. Uh, and they've got 150 engineers and their spouses going over. And they want to offer as an employee benefit language classes. And bam, next thing you know, we're, this is our bigger, (laughs) biggest corporate client. And it's all from some random person from Eastern Europe contacting me. And next thing you know, giddy up, let's go. Yeah. Although I think, you know, I mean, yes, it, it, you know, it seems fortuitous and random, but I think the one thing that does really make sense in that is the fact that you, you sort of taken this whole kind of learn a language market and you've identified a very particular type of person in a very particular type of situation that needs to learn, learn the language in a particular way for a particular purpose. And you've created a solution really geared towards that. So, I mean, the fact that this person reached out you know, I, certainly they saw that out of all the different language options, language programs that they could investigate, yours really bubbled to the surface that way because of the way you approached it and the solution that you were providing. And I think that, you know, it's kind of one of the rules that we have in, in scaling businesses in general, but certainly services. The, the faster you want to grow, the more you want to scale, the more focused you need to be. You need to really zero in on the product, the service, the offering, even the channel, like how are you going to sell it is yeah. is key. Is key. Yeah. So, Absolutely. And I think a lot of it too, is the, the personalized touch, you know, it's that question that Casey asked me, what do you want to learn about and what do you need to learn about? And that's what we're providing to these companies. So when we're working with a a manufacturing company or a tech company or a financial firm, we're able to kind of gear it towards them within the framework of our system. And that really pays off in the long run. And then next thing is, You've got your like Bank of China is recommending another financial firm or that guy leaves yeah. Bank of China and goes to yeah. ICBC and all of a sudden there you go. Yeah. And so it's it kind of it's weird because we're in the tech industry, but a lot of our marketing and a lot of our sales yeah. is that traditional way of relationship. Doing. Yeah. Relationship yeah. selling. So we're going to hit time here in a little bit, but this has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot. I think we've covered some really good stuff. Um, If people want to find out more about you, about Brick, what's the best way to get more information? They can email us. Uh, I'd love to give my personal email, but I travel so much that I probably (laughs) won't respond. So info info at bricklanguage.com. 
Uh, it's briclanguage.com is probably the best way. We've also got a contact us on the website so they can go there as well. Awesome. And I'll make sure those are in the show notes. And and I, I'm assuming you anticipated this, but can you say say a little like parting, like thank you for listening to Scaling Up Services in Mandarin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been great. Great. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Ryan, I will, I will talk to you again soon, but thank you for being on the program and uh, yeah. I appreciate the time. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.